Obstruction of justice. Three basic elements are common to the obstruction statutes pertinent to this office's charging decisions, an obstructive act, some form of nexus between the obstructive act and an official proceeding, and criminal i.e., corrupt intent. A detailed discussion of those elements, and the law governing obstruction of justice more generally, is included in Volume 2 of the report. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. Feel. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, that didn't happen. And here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Fellow Americans, it's time, it's time to, to speak out. out. They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will be We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, yes we, we can. can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public, to public Access, Access America. America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. Application to certain individuals. I. George Papadopoulos. Investigators approached Papadopoulos for an interview based on his role as a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign and his suggestion to a foreign government representative that Russia had indicated that it could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information damaging to candidate Clinton. On January 27, 2017, Papadopoulos agreed to be interviewed by FBI agents, who informed him that the interview was part of the investigation into potential Russian government interference in the 2016 presidential election. During the interview, Papadopoulos lied about the timing, extent, and nature of his communications with Joseph Mifsud, Olga Polonskaya, and Ivan Timofeyev. With respect to timing, Papadopoulos acknowledged that he had met Mifsud and that Mifsud told him the Russians had dirt on Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. But Papadopoulos stated multiple times that those communications occurred before he joined the Trump campaign and that it was a very strange coincidence to be told of the dirt before he started working for the campaign. This account was false. Papadopoulos met Mifsud for the first time on approximately March 14, 2016, after Papadopoulos had already learned he would be a foreign policy advisor for the campaign. Mifsud showed interest in Papadopoulos only after learning of his role on the campaign. 
and Mifsud told Papadopoulos about the Russians possessing dirt on candidate Clinton in late April 2016, more than a month after Papadopoulos had joined the campaign and been publicly announced by candidate Trump. Statement of Offense, R. R. 25-26, United States v. George Papadopoulos, No. 117 CR 182 DDC October 5, 2017, Doc. 19. Papadopoulos' Statement of Offense. Papadopoulos also made false statements in an effort to muse the extent and importance of his communications with Mifsud. For example, Papadopoulos stated that Mifsud's a nothing, that he thought Mifsud was just a guy talking up connections or something, and that he believed Mifsud was beasting to be completely honest with you. In fact, however, Papadopoulos understood Mifsud to have substantial connections to high-level Russian government officials and that Mifsud spoke with some of those officials in Moscow before telling Papadopoulos about the dirt. Papadopoulos also engaged in extensive communications over a period of months with Mifsud about foreign policy issues for the campaign, including efforts to arrange a history-making meeting between the campaign and Russian government officials. In addition, Papadopoulos failed to inform investigators that Mifsud had introduced him to Timofeyev, the Russian national who Papadopoulos understood to be connected to the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, despite being asked if he had met with Russian nationals or anyone with a Russian accent during the campaign. Papadopoulos' Statement of Offense 27-29 Papadopoulos also falsely claimed that he met Polonskaya before he joined the campaign, and falsely told the FBI that he had no relationship at all with her. He stated that the extent of their communications was her sending emails just, Hi, how are you, that's it. In truth, however, Papadopoulos met Polonskaya on March 24, 2016, after he had joined the campaign, he believed that she had connections to high-level Russian government officials and could help him arrange a potential foreign policy trip to Russia. During the campaign he emailed and spoke with her over Skype on numerous occasions about the potential foreign policy trip to Russia. Papadopoulos' Statement of Offense 30-31 Papadopoulos's false statements in January 2017 impeded the FBI's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Most immediately, those statements hindered investigators' ability to effectively question Mifsud when he was interviewed in the lobby of a Washington, D.C. hotel on February 10, 2017. See Mem, at 6, United States v. George Papadopoulos, No. 117 CR 182 DDC. August 18, 2017, Doc. 44. During that interview, Mifsud admitted to knowing Papadopoulos and to having introduced him to Polonskaya and Timofeyev. But Mifsud denied that he had advance knowledge that Russia was in possession of emails damaging to candidate Clinton, stating that he and Papadopoulos had discussed cybersecurity and hacking as a larger issue and that Papadopoulos must have misunderstood their conversation. Mifsud also falsely stated that he had not seen Papadopoulos since the meeting at which Mifsud introduced him to Polonskaya, even though emails, text messages, and other information showed that Mifsud met with Papadopoulos on at least two other occasions April 12 and April 26, 2016. In addition, Mifsud omitted that he had drafted or edited the follow-up message that Polonskaya sent to Papadopoulos following the initial meeting and that, as reflected in the language of that email chain baby, thank you, Mifsud may have been involved in a personal relationship with Polonskaya at the time. 
The false information and omissions in Papadopoulos's January 2017 interview undermined investigators' ability to challenge Mifsud when he made these inaccurate statements. Given the seriousness of the lies and omissions and their effect on the FBI's investigation, the office charged Papadopoulos with making false statements to the FBI, in violation of 18 U.S.C. 1001. Information, United States v. George Papadopoulos, No. L. 17 CR 182 DDC. October 3, 2017, Doc 8. On October 7, 2017, Papadopoulos pleaded guilty to that charge pursuant to a plea agreement. On September 7, 2018, he was sentenced to 14 days of imprisonment, a $9,500 fine, and 200 hours of community service. E. Michael Flynn Michael Flynn agreed to be interviewed by the FBI on January 24, 2017, four days after he had officially assumed his duties as National Security Advisor to the President. During the interview, Flynn made several false statements pertaining to his communications with the Russian ambassador. First, Flynn made two false statements about his conversations with Russian Ambassador Kislak in late December 2016, at a time when the United States had imposed sanctions on Russia for interfering with the 2016 presidential election and Russia was considering its response. See Flynn's statement of offense. Flynn told the agents that he did not ask Kislak to refrain from escalating the situation in response to the United States's imposition of sanctions. That statement was false. On December 29, 2016, Flynn called Kislak to request Russian restraint. Flynn made the call immediately after speaking to a senior transition team official K.T. McFarland about what to communicate to Kislak. Flynn then spoke with McFarland again after the Kislak call to report on the substance of that conversation. Flynn also falsely told the FBI that he did not remember a follow-up conversation in which Kislak stated that Russia had chosen to moderate its response to the U.S. sanctions as a result of Flynn's request. This free audio is provided by MullerReportAudioBook.com. On December 31, 2016, Flynn in fact had such a conversation with Kislak, and he again spoke with McFarland within hours of the call to relay the substance of his conversation with Kislak. See Flynn's Statement of Offense 3. Second, Flynn made false statements about calls he had previously made to representatives of Russia and other countries regarding a resolution submitted by Egypt to the United Nations Security Council on December 21, 2016. Specifically, Flynn stated that he only asked the country's positions on how they would vote on the resolution and that he did not request that any of the countries take any particular action on the resolution. That statement was false. On December 22, 2016, Flynn called Kislak, informed him of the incoming Trump administration's opposition to the resolution, and requested that Russia vote against or delay the resolution. Flynn also falsely stated that Kislak never described Russia's response to his December 22 request regarding the resolution. Kislak in fact told Flynn in a conversation on December 23, 2016, that Russia would not vote against the resolution if it came to a vote. See Flynn's Statement of Offense 4. Flynn made these false statements to the FBI at a time when he was serving as National Security Advisor and when the FBI had an open investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election, including the nature of any links between the Trump campaign and Russia. 
Flynn's false statements and omissions impeded and otherwise had a material impact on that ongoing investigation. Flynn's statement of offense 1-2. They also came shortly before Flynn made separate submissions to the DEPA 1-T Ment of Justice, pursuant to FARA, that also contained materially false statements and omissions. I.D. 5. Based on the totality of that conduct, the office decided to charge Flynn with making false statements to the FBI, in violation of 18 U.S.C. L.O.O.L.A. On December 1, 2017, and pursuant to a plea agreement, Flynn pleaded guilty to that charge and also admitted his false statements to the department in his FARA filing. See it, plea agreement, United States v. Michael T. Flynn, no. L. 17 CR 232 DDC. December 1, 2017, Doc 3. Flynn is awaiting sentencing. Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen was the executive vice president and special counsel to the Trump Organization when Trump was president of the Trump Organization. Information 1, United States v. Cohen, No. 118CR850 SDNY. November 29, 2018, Doc. 2 Cohen Information. From the fall of 2015 through approximately June 2016, Cohen was involved in a project to build a Trump-branded tower and adjoining development in Moscow. The project was known as Trump Tower Moscow. In 2017, Cohen was called to testify before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence HPSCI and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence SSCI, both of which were investigating Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election and possible links between Russia and the presidential campaigns. In late August 2017, in advance of his testimony, Cohen caused a two-page statement to be sent to SSCI and HPSCI addressing Trump Tower Moscow. Cohen Information 2-3. The letter contained three representations relevant here. First, Cohen stated that the Trump Moscow project had ended in January 2016 and that he had briefed candidate Trump on the project only three times before making the unilateral decision to terminate it. Second, Cohen represented that he never agreed to travel to Russia in connection with the project and never considered asking Trump to travel for the project. Third, Cohen stated that he did not recall any Russian government contact about the project, including any response to an email that he had sent to a Russian government email account. Cohen Information, I-4. Cohen later asked that his two-page statement be incorporated into his testimony's transcript before SSCI, and he ultimately gave testimony to SSCI that was consistent with that statement. Cohen Information. Each of the foregoing representations in Cohen's two-page statement was false and misleading. Consideration of the project had extended through approximately June 2016 and included more than three progress reports from Cohen to Trump. Cohen had discussed with Felix Satter his own travel to Russia as part of the project, and he had inquired about the possibility of Trump traveling there both with the candidate himself and with senior campaign official Corey Lewandowski. Cohen did recall that he had received a response to the email that he sent to Russian government spokesman Dmitry Peskov in particular, that he received an email reply and had a follow-up phone conversation with an English-speaking assistant to Peskov in mid-January 2016. Cohen Information, I-7. Cohen knew the statements in the letter to be false at the time, and admitted that he made them in an effort 1 to minimize the links between the project and Trump who by this time was president, and 2 to give the false impression that the project had ended before the first vote in the Republican Party primary process, in the hopes of limiting the ongoing Russia investigations.
Given the nature of the false statements and the fact that he repeated them during his initial interview with the office, we charged Cohen with violating Section 1001. On November 29, 2018, Cohen pleaded guilty pursuant to a plea agreement to a single-count information charging him with making false statements in a matter within the jurisdiction of the legislative branch, in violation of 18 U.S.C. 100 La 2 and C. Cohen information. The case was transferred to the district judge presiding over the separate prosecution of Cohen pursued by the Southern District of New York after a referral from our office. On December 7, 2018, this office submitted a letter to that judge recommending that Cohen's cooperation with our investigation be taken into account in sentencing Cohen on both the false statements charge and the offenses in the Southern District prosecution. On December 12, 2018, the judge sentenced Cohen to two months of imprisonment on the false statements count to run concurrently with a 36-month sentence imposed on the other counts. V. Jeff Sessions. As set forth in Volume 1, Section IV.6, Supra, the investigation established that, while a U.S. Senator and a Trump campaign advisor, former Attorney General Jeff Sessions interacted with Russian Ambassador Kislak during the week of the Republican National Convention in July 2016 and again at a meeting in Sessions' S. Senate office in September 2016. The investigation also established that Sessions and Kislak both attended a reception held before candidate Trump's foreign policy speech at the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C., in April 2016, and that it is possible that they met briefly at that reception. The office considered whether, in light of these interactions, Sessions committed perjury before, or made false statements to, Congress in connection with his confirmation as Attorney General. In January 2017 testimony during his confirmation hearing, Sessions stated in response to a question about Trump campaign communications with the Russian government that he had been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign and I didn't have, did not have communications with the Russians. In written responses submitted on January 17, 2017, Sessions answered no to a question asking whether he had been in contact with anyone connected to any part of the Russian government about the 2016 election, either before or after Election Day. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Public Access America. This has been the Mueller Report of Volume 1. We're going to move on to Volume 2, but we had some extra time. If you're a SoundCloud listener, hey, thank you for that. Go ahead and repost, share, comment, and like like right there on the episode timeline you can do all that and even repost it to your own page so you have it right there ready we're on itunes and we're on the stitcher smart radio app please subscribe don't forget the potable app we're there too we're on instagram and facebook at public access america more importantly we had some extra time and that's why i'm doing this thank you for listening of course please find us on twitter at public access pod we have a stream of positivity going all day we're going to bring you right now because we had the extra time the mueller uh press conference i don't know should i retake that i'm not going to retake that we're going to bring you the mueller press conference we're just going to go download that now because suddenly i realized that we have a lot of extra time here so it's about nine minutes and we have about nine minutes of show left to do to fill this out so thank you for listening to public access america here is the mueller press conference right now as a time filler but very interesting in history in this moment thank you Two years ago, the acting attorney general asked me to serve as special counsel, and he created the special counsel's office. The appointment order directed the office to investigate 
Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. This included investigating any links or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign. Now, I have not spoken publicly during our investigation. I'm speaking out today because our investigation is complete. The Attorney General has made the report on our investigation largely public. We are formally closing the Special Counsel's Office, and as well, I'm resigning from the Department of Justice to return to private life. I'll make a few remarks about the results of our work. But beyond these few remarks, it is important that the office's written work speak for itself. Let me begin where the appointment order begins, and that is interference in the 2016 presidential election. As alleged by the grand jury in an indictment, Russian intelligence officers who were part of the Russian military launched a concerted attack on our political system. The indictment alleges that they used sophisticated cyber techniques to hack into computers and networks used by the Clinton campaign. They stole private information and then released that information through fake online and identities and through the organization WikiLeaks. The releases were designed and timed to interfere with our election and to damage a presidential candidate. And at the same time as the grand jury alleged in a separate indictment, a private Russian entity engaged in a social media operation where Russian citizens posed as Americans in order to influence an, an election. These indictments contain allegations, and we are not co commenting on the guilt or the innocence of any specific defendant. Every defendant is presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. The indictments allege, and the other activities in our report describe, efforts to interfere in our political system. They needed to be investigated and understood, and that is among the reasons why the Department of Justice established our office. That is also a reason we investigated efforts to obstruct the investigation. The matters we investigated were of paramount importance. It was critical for us to obtain full and accurate information from every person we questioned. When a subject of an investigation obstructs that investigation or lies to investigators, it strikes at the core of their government's effort to find the truth and hold wrongdoers accountable. Let me say a word about the report. The report has two parts, addressing the two main issues we were asked to investigate. The first volume of the report details numerous efforts emanating from Russia to influence the election. This volume includes a discussion of the Trump campaign's response to this activity, as well as our conclusion that there was insufficient evidence to charge a broader conspiracy. And in the second volume, the report describes the results and analysis of our obstruction of justice investigation involving the president. The order appointing me special counsel authorized us to investigate actions that could obstruct the investigation. And we conducted that investigation and we kept the office of the acting attorney general apprised of the progress of our work. 
and as set forth in the report after that investigation, if we had had confidence that the President clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the President did commit a crime. The introduction to the volume two of our report explains that decision. It explains that under long-standing department policy, a president cannot be charged with a federal crime while he is in office. That is unconstitutional. Even if the charge is kept under seal and hidden from public view, that too is prohibited. The special counsel's office is part of the Department of Justice, and by regulation, it was bound by that department policy. Charging the president with a crime was therefore not an option we could consider. The department's written opinion explaining the policy makes several important points that further informed our handling of the obstruction investigation. Those points are summarized in our report, and I will describe two of them for you. First, the opinion explicitly permits the investigation of a sitting president because it is important to preserve evidence while memories are fresh and documents available. Among other things, that evidence could be used if there were co-conspirators who could be charged now. And second, the opinion says that the Constitution requires a process other than the criminal justice system to formally accuse a sitting president of wrongdoing. And beyond department policy, we were guided by principles of fairness. It would be unfair to potentially it would be unfair to potentially accuse somebody of a crime when there can be no court resolution of the actual charge. So that was Justice Department policy. Those were the principles under which we operated. And from them, we concluded that we would, would not reach a determination one way or the other about whether the president committed a crime. That is the office's, that is the office's final position and we will not comment on any other conclusions or hypotheticals about the president. We conducted an independent criminal investigation and reported the results to the Attorney General, as required by Department regulations. The Attorney General then concluded that it was appropriate to provide our report to Congress and to the American people. At one point in time, I requested that certain portions of the report be released, the Attorney General preferred to, make that, preferred to make the entire report public all at once, and we appreciate that the Attorney General made the report largely public, and I certainly do not question the Attorney General's good faith in that decision. Now, I hope and expect this to be the only time that I will speak to you in this manner. I am making that decision myself. No one has told me whether I can or should testify or speak further about this matter. There has been discussion about an appearance before Congress. Any testimony from this office would not go beyond our report. It contains our findings and analysis and the reasons for the decisions we made. We chose those words carefully and the work speaks for itself. And the report is my testimony. I would not provide information beyond that which is already public in any appearance before Congress. 
In addition, access to our underlying work product is being decided in a process that does, that does not involve our office. So beyond what I've said here today and what is contained in our written work, I do not believe it is appropriate for me to speak further about the investigation or to comment on the actions of the Justice Department or Congress. And it's for that reason I will not be taking questions today as well. Now, before I step away, I want to thank the attorneys, the FBI agents, the analysts, the professional staff who helped us conduct this investigation in a fair and independent manner. These individuals who spent nearly two years with the special counsel's office were of the highest integrity. And I will close by reiterating the central allegation of our indictments that there were multiple systematic efforts to interfere in our election. And that allegation deserves the attention of every American. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently for You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. My poor little children. Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit. That's how winning is done. Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. He wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Apple Podcasts for Stitcher Smart Radio. Potable and more. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. Sir, if you're subpoenaed, do you have any questions? No questions.